and welcome to As It Comes, life from a musician's point of view. I'm Davina, I'm a freelance cellist based in London, and this episode is all about Southbank Symphonia. I'm not going to hold back my enthusiasm for Southbank Symphonia. After all, it's what brought me to the UK and made me start a career here. For those who don't know, Southbank offers a year-long orchestral fellowship to a cohort of 33 musicians from around the world, during which they embark on many different projects, including performance of orchestral and chamber repertoire, but also professional development workshops with ensembles like the Orchestra of the Royal Opera House, BBC Concert Orchestra, and the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields. They also do educational outreach with schools and take part in seminars to prepare them for a diverse career in music. Along with an incredibly supportive, motivating and creative management team, players are able to test their limits and play to their strengths in what they want to achieve musically. It's also just a lot of fun. I was part of the 2013 cohort and I can still count many members of that core group as my close friends. Not only do you get to knit close relationships with players from your year, you also get the chance to meet alumni from other years either when they come into certain projects as extra players, in later years when you go into debt, or even outside projects. I'd say that in recent years, it'd be pretty rare for me to go into an ensemble or an orchestra and not see some South Bank alumni there that I could talk to. To give you a bit of background, let me share my personal experience of joining South Bank. Cast your minds back to 2012. From what I'd heard from friends studying in London, everyone was buzzing about the Queen's Diamond Jubilee and the Olympics. I was nowhere near there, of course. I was a year out from finishing my Masters at Sydney Conservatorium in the early stages of carving out a freelance career. With mixed results. I was teaching a bit of cello, teaching a bit of English, doing a few gigs and recordings here and there, but trying to get as much orchestral performance work as possible. Turns out that's quite hard and competitive. I wasn't getting a huge amount of variety in my playing because orchestral excerpts were my life. I could play the first page of Don Juan perfectly, but I didn't really know what happened after the page turn. I worked on perfecting my light but articulate bowstroke for Mozart 35. I spent a lot of time in my basement flat not enjoying the Sydney sun as much as I probably should have. That winter, I had five auditions lined up for ensembles and professional development schemes in both Australia and New Zealand. I was churning out my audition material almost weekly, and I got absolutely nowhere with any of them. I didn't really beat myself up too much about it because, you know, the value of the audition is in the preparation, but I knew it was a hard road ahead. In the early weeks of spring, I decided to apply for Southbank Symphonia. I'd heard about Southbank, namely you'd hear about a few Kiwis or Aussies who'd get in and totally uproot their lives to join this mythical orchestra on the other side of the world. After five audition failures, I just thought, eh, why not? What's one more audition? I was totally numb to the audition process by this point. It was a live recorded audition, but just in front of a camera, and Roger Benedict, principal violist of the Sydney Symphony, who was there to hit record. After I'd finished playing to a completely empty Eugene Goosen's Hall, Roger came up to me and said, Very good. Your right foot taps a lot. Might want to watch out for that. Cool. Thanks, mate. 
After five rejections, you can imagine my surprise a couple weeks later when I received an email inviting me to have an interview over Skype. My 2021 self laughs at the surprise concept of remote interviews, seeing as this is life now. We had to contend with the time zones, as Sydney was 10 hours ahead of London, so my interview was at 7 in the evening. What on earth was I going to do all day until then? In a nervous flap, I embarked on cleaning the flat. I vacuumed the carpet, because I thought, well, in a way, they're coming to my place. I even scrubbed the toilet. Highly unlikely the interview would make it there. Better be safe, though. Make a good impression. In a vague premonition to 2020, I dressed very professionally from the waist up and had a chat with music director Simon Over and trustee Catherine Verney, who informed me that James Murphy, the then managing director, was running late because he was stuck on the Northern Line. What the hell is the Northern Line? I thought to myself. I got to experience the horrors of the Northern Line for myself a couple months later, after I'd received confirmation of a place in the 2013 cohort. How exciting. Following confirmation was a flurry of activity involving applying for a visa, booking flights, farewell parties, packing, sending possessions back to my parents in Auckland and Melbourne, getting in touch with a whole lot of Antipodeans I knew in London. Turns out there were quite a few. Finding a place to live at short notice. I had a sublet for five weeks, but beyond that, who knows? Doesn't matter. That's for later Davina to work out. I'll never forget the words my sister said to me at that time. Prepare for the worst, but hope for the best. There's nothing like flying to the other side of the globe that makes you realise how massive the world is and how daunting it can be to be alone with your thoughts. There I was, flying to Dubai by myself, with only my cello for company, staring into the seat in front of me. What if I can't play? What if I can't keep up with these people who've studied at these famous UK conservatoires? What if I don't make any friends? What if, what if, what if? A flight attendant approached me and told me how much she loved my cello. Oh, it's great. It doesn't require attention. It doesn't get up to use the toilet. It doesn't scream, shout or fart. You're so lucky. I turned up to my first rehearsal on a freezing cold Tuesday morning, having slid down the ice on the pavement with my cello on my back and somehow still in one piece. My first rehearsal with an orchestra of strangers. I was leading the cello section for this rehearsal. I was still mildly jet-lagged. No pressure. But when I sat down, I saw associate leader Eugene Lee, a friend from Auckland Uni, and I glanced around at the other section leaders who met me with encouraging smiles. We played through Beethoven's Eroica Symphony, and I just thought, you know this. You've got this. And from then, the what-ifs flew out the window. If you're still listening, thank you for indulging me. It feels quite therapeutic to say a lot of that out loud. But you're likely here to hear my conversation with two members of the current Southbank Symphonia cohort, Canadian percussionist Alec Jolie-Pavlich and British viola player George White. These two wonderful personalities shine in talking about their experiences of doing Southbank during the pandemic, as well as their hopes for the future and what's been keeping them sane these days. Have a listen to my chat with Alec and George. Welcome. 
welcome to the podcast, Alec and George. So, very special episode today. I'm joined by two members of the South Bank Symphonia. So, Alec Jolie-Pavlich, percussionist, and George White, viola player. So, usually, the orchestra comes together for about 10, 11 months of the year, but of course, given the events of the pandemic last year in 2020, last year's cohort will be invited to come back for 2021's fellowship, which is exciting, right? <laughs> How do you guys feel about coming back to South Bank after such a weird time? Alec, how about you go first? Uh, I'm over the moon. I mean, uh, we've, we've only been playing together, what, a month, maybe even less than that. And then the pandemic hit. I really do miss getting to perform as a whole orchestra in front of a live audience. So here's to hoping that with the renewal in 2021, we can get close to some semblance of normal and, and yeah. go back to performing for audiences again. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And especially, I mean, we'll get to how you've traveled so far to be here, but George, how about you? How are you feeling about getting back into it all eventually? So, so excited. I mean, when we came back after the first lockdown, it was like a, a coming back together of a family. It was like a real emotional reunion. And we'd only been together for that, that four or five week period before the pandemic hit. So, yeah, I mean, coming back, it's, first of all, it's a real privilege because, like you say, not many South Bank, no South Bank years have, <laughs> have had the chance to repeat. And so I'm really looking forward to, yeah, seeing what we can do this year, um, making the most of all the opportunities that are available to us and um yeah having a good time but also like having there's, there's a coming together of, of musicians after such a traumatic time I think you know that's that's going to be quite interesting to see where we go this year. The thing that sums up South Bank um, and from my experience especially is that it's like joining a family really yeah. and even when you leave South Bank Symphonia you're just joining an even bigger family of past alumni so I imagine even though you guys only spend a month together when you guys are able to see each other again it'll be super exciting but first of all I thought it would be worth asking you guys why did you decide to apply for South Bank in the first place George how about you? It's such a good question because I've known about South Bank for a, for a long time and I've had loads of friends who've done South Bank and I kind of put off applying for quite a long time partly because I actually ended up taking a break after college and not playing the viola for a bit so it was exactly the right thing at the right time to do the audition and I, <laughs> I, think, I hope Marcus won't hate me for saying this but on the day of the audition I was like oh god should I go I, I, I'm not sure I'm ready for this but boy am I glad I went because not only was it one of the most enjoyable audition experiences of my life <laughs> but it's led to I know it's weird huh but it's also led to this year and, and I don't know where I'd be without South Bank so I mean I applied initially really because I, I was looking for some a sort of sense of structure and a sense of purpose in my music making because I've been freelancing for, for a bit before um, but doing so much different stuff and like not really getting a sense of who I was as a musician and where I wanted to go and South Bank really gives you that opportunity to dive deep into what you're wanting to do at the same time as giving you all the experience of like a, a normal working orchestra. Yeah, like a bit more clarity because I think it can feel like when you come out of college or even like yourself, you know, yeah. a few years after college, not knowing, oh, what the hell do I do from here? But, you know, it's quite nice just to have that guidance like, oh, I'm really interested in this avenue and perhaps I'll pursue that. And then Alec, as we mentioned before, you've traveled quite far to be here, but you're like me actually. So I'm a New Zealander, but I did my postgrad studies in Sydney in Australia. And that's where I moved from to do South Bank Symphonia. And it's the reason why I am still here. <laughs> <laughs> what drove you to move to London to do South Bank? And you know, how did it feel 
having moved all the way over to go straight into lockdown. Like you said, I'm not from London originally. I'm, I'm from Canada. At the time when I applied for South Bank, I had I just finished my master's in Long Beach, California. I was having difficulty finding my grounding at the time. Just finishing my master's, going back home to Ottawa and not really having any plans for the future and not really sure what to do. And part of me was considering putting music on hold for a little bit and uh, getting some sort of what my parents would call a real job yeah. so that I can get a little bit of money and get my life together and, and put a plan together for how I'm going to proceed. My aunt, bless her heart, decided to be a little bit generous and said, I'll give you $2,000. You invest it however you want. Use this as an investment to make something stable for yourself so that you know, you're not in trouble because I have student loans to pay and whatnot. And, Oh, uh, don't we all? <laughs> yeah. The idea was that I'd pay for like a college course in accounting or something. And then I was just one day desperately flipping through the musical chairs website. And I found the South Bank advert for the percussion spot. And I said, well, I have $2,000. So I spent it all on the flight to London and the hotel and everything. You actually auditioned in London. Wow, that's dedication. You had to send in the timpani-only videotape first yeah. for the first round. But when they invited me to the live round, I said, okay, I have $2,000 in the bank, haven't spent it yet. I'm going to put that towards the travel costs. And so $2,000 and an entire week in London later, I did the audition it was probably one of the best feelings I've had in an audition. That's interesting, actually. I love that because here, here you are spending 2000 bucks to fly over to London. George is on the day being like, hmm, should I do the audition? <laughs> <laughs> so casual, yeah. But yeah, both of you said that you had very positive audition experiences, which is, I feel like, quite rare. You know, so, with, yeah. you know, a lot of musicians can relate to the horrific audition where you come out and you just know exactly what the results were before you get the email. For me, it was different because I had to send in a recording because I, I couldn't fly all the way to London for a week from Sydney. So both of you, tell me why it felt so positive, apart from getting in, of course. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, having sort of thought on the day, oh, my God, should I do this? And then being convinced by Marcus to come along no matter what. It was a real learning experience because then, because I knew that I had nothing to lose, essentially, which is actually, I think that's the same for most auditions, really. You haven't got anything to lose. You've got the audition, so you might as well just go and give it your all. But we often get in the way of ourselves, don't we? Like, you know, getting nervous or the bow shakes for string players, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> there was something about coming down to St. John's and actually walking into the audition room, which I'm not sure that it was the same for everyone. But for, for me, for some reason, I we, those auditions, we had to walk into the audition room. And well, the, the warm-up room was the audition room. Sorry, I got myself confused there. <laughs> Wait, the warm-up room was the audition room? What, is, was everyone just in this big room where everyone was playing well, Hofmeister and, and Stamets or I something? Just, <laughs> maybe I'm getting this all mixed up now because, of course, we've had a pandemic in between now and then. I mean, it's, been, it's a long time ago. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, just bl blame 2020. Blame just blame 2020. 2020. <laughs> I just remember feeling completely at ease and I played through my thing with Simon, Simon over the music director, and then the panel walked in. And so that felt so different because often you walk into and you're, like, you're the one walking in and, um, yeah. and it's scary. So I don't know. It was very nice. It felt informal. And, it, and then I had the opportunity to sit down and just basically 
tell them about my musical experience, my musical journey, which is not something you ever get to do, is it? <laughs> you never get to give your personal side. Um, often you're judged on the first note that you play and then they're like, no, we don't want you. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thank exactly. You all. Yeah, that was yeah. out of tune. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's the nice thing when you do get the opportunity to highlight that human element of an audition because auditions feel so clinical, don't Absolutely. they? And I feel like one of the best auditions that I had was when I got to play a little bit of chamber music in the audition yeah. with some of the panellists. And yeah. you feel like, oh, we're just making music. Exactly. This is what we like doing. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. rather than just playing your prescribed concerto and, and excerpts, which obviously we have to do to keep it controlled, but, you know, it makes us forget sometimes why we do it. Alec, you'd spent your $2,000 to come over and have your lovely week in London doing auditions. Tell me about your audition experience. When I landed at Heathrow, I happened to get a hotel that was right inside the terminal. So I like to joke that I never really stepped outside in the week that I was in London because I just took the terminal airport hotel and then I got the tube right from the airport right to St. Clement Danes and back. <laughs> so I never really set foot in London properly. I remember when I when I showed up, I was a little bit razzled because, you know, first time on the tube ever in the morning during the peak hours carrying my drum and, and all of my sticks and everything. And I didn't expect how cramped it would be in there. And I was a little bit edgy. I, I felt like I was a little nervous in the tube. I was just like, ah, am I really sure that this is going to go well? Did I sleep enough last night? Did I get enough coffee in me? Did I get too much coffee in me? <laughs> my audition was at St. Clement Danes. I went there, and it's this beautiful church, and just the way it's laid out, it's very welcoming. And when I showed up, Marcus was there. And Marcus is hes a very calming figure to talk to. Just to clarify, Marcus Norman, the artistic development person. Manager. <laughs> <laughs> Manager, that's yeah. the word. <laughs> he's a very soothing person to talk to. You know, he's also from New Zealand, and he's got that sort of calming... Uh, Oh, how are you? Welcome. <laughs> Did you sleep on... How was your trip from Canada? He told me that all of the excerpts were going to be accompanied. And uh, that kind of put me at ease. Because I'm coming from a North American school of auditions, and I'm not sure what it's like in Australia and New Zealand, but at least in North America, you're always auditioning from behind a screen, and it's very impersonal. Sure. and. Uh, the committee is like something 40 feet away from you and you're alone playing excerpts with no accompaniment, just completely solo. And the most you're worrying about is, am I counting all of the rests exactly in time? And is everything clean and perfect? And no, this turned a typical set of excerpts into chamber music. I had an accompanist with me. I could face them and it felt like I was making actual music with another human being, which is nice. It's kind of like what what you were saying. So it's the same thing, really. It's like yeah. it makes you remember, it's, oh, that's right, of course, I'm not playing to a screen, I'm not somewhere clinical like a hospital, but I'm actually making music and they want to see me make music. I think like we need to remember that yeah. don't we? When, when we go and do auditions Absolutely. one day when we ever do auditions ever again. But uh. <laughs> It caught me a little bit off guard when Marcus told me that the extras would be accompanied. I just remember him saying that and desperately trying to find a Wi-Fi hotspot on my <laughs> phone so I could listen to the end of the slow movement from Beethoven 3rd one last time just to remember how it went again. So I remember going in and I saw David Corkhill who's the assistant conductor I didn't know that he was the assistant conductor at the time. I just knew him as principal percussionist of the Philharmonia. 
And for me, a guy from Ottawa, very small-ish town. Well, not small, but it's, it's smaller than London. Getting to see David Corkill in person was kind of freaky. <laughs> I, <laughs> I remember yeah. just like, oh, it's this guy. I know who he is from, from all those recordings. Oh my gosh, I feel nervous. And I, I just froze. I said, I, I don't know where to start. <laughs> and he was like, let's hear some Bach. So I played the Bach Sarabande on marimba. And hearing that in the church ringing the fullest extent, just filling the room with sound, I remember thinking, oh, this is nice. This yeah. is going to go really well. And it did, clearly. It's funny when you move to London and because I'm not from a particularly small place, but I'm from a very far away place. And so when you come into contact with these people that you've seen on videos or whatever, it's, it's really, really special. Because I remember we had to do a public speaking workshop. Mm, yeah. Because a big part of South Bank Symphonia, as you probably know, is learning how to speak to your audience. Oh, my goodness. And we... <laughs> how does that make you feel? <laughs> Here you are speaking on a podcast. But yeah. the woman who ran our workshop was Patricia Hodge. And I knew her from that TV program Miranda. Yeah. As Miranda's mum. Starstruck. Oh, yeah. And she was there. She was buzzing it in and she wasn't sure which button to press. And so I went up to her and I was like, oh, you want this button here? And I had to really, really repress the urge, <laughs> repress the urge to say such fun. <laughs> so of course Absolutely. you'd get that like yeah. constantly. It's really nice to hear about positive audition experiences because I feel like we don't hear about them enough. So obviously you both got into the 2020 cohort and then you spent a few weeks, a month really getting to know the other members of the orchestra and uh, playing together. And then obviously March 2020 came upon us and then everything got cancelled. So from there, George, how did you feel when you had to go into lockdown and then just not see these people again? Oh, gosh. Well, the whole gamut of emotions, really. I mean, it was such a monumental moment, wasn't it, for everyone? And and we all had our own things that, we, that we'd lost. And I had such a great feeling about 2020 in general, like the beginning of the year, I felt so good about it. I had lots of things going on. I had lots of variety. And, and I also knew I had South Bank commitments and other commitments for the year. So I, I was kind of sorted for the first time in my life. I was like, I know what I'm doing this year. <laughs> and then, then March came and just like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, it was devastating to know that we wouldn't be coming back. It was a very difficult time because we did a concert at Marlborough College for the Marlborough College residency, which has been going for years. It was Tasman Little and Phil Dukes doing the Mozart Symphony Concertate, but we'd actually gone down on the coach and we'd actually witnessed a horrible car crash just before the concert. And we were stuck behind this car that was on fire. And it was honestly, it was horrendous. So I was already a bit fragile. We'd kind of been sharing a lot in the group. You know, we'd, we'd gone and done the residency. We've got to know each other very well by this point in just a short space of time. So I, you know, I felt the support there from everyone and we were all in the same boat. And then the week later, we were all locked down and shut down and cut off from each other. And then Zoom became a thing. And I ran back to my mum in Somerset. The whole thing just changed so quickly, didn't it? It was such a weird feeling for absolutely everybody in the yeah. world to yeah. have that feeling. Because yeah. there's that feeling of when you get a gig that's cancelled, exactly. but it's just happened to you. And you're like, oh, bummer. Oh, whatever. Something else will happen. Yeah. yeah, something else will come up. But then when everything's cancelled, you're like, oh, wow, like, <laughs> what what on earth do I do? I guess I'll stay home and make some sourdough. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Alec, I mean, for you, because you had travelled all this way to come to London, find a place to live, you know, gearing up for the year. How did you react? It was a little heartbreaking, right? Like, I, this is about the most exciting thing that had happened since I started playing percussion. And for it to just be 
sort of halted all of a sudden, almost without warning, really. I just, I couldn't remember the exact emotions that I felt, but I was just, there's like a sense of emptiness. But in a way, kind of a blessing in disguise. As you probably remember from when you moved to London, it's it's a big move. It's a really, really, really scary transition um, if you're not ready for it. And I, I certainly at the time didn't feel like I was completely 100% ready to move to a, as big a city as London. So it kind of gave me a chance to think back on how I thought the transition had gone initially. And I'll get another chance at doing this in a few months. So let's let's make it go better this time. Let's see if I can going into it, already have an idea of what to expect, and that way it's less of a shock. And the second time around, when we when we got back together in September, I felt like the move was a lot less jarring. Already having the 32 best friends I've ever had there, it felt a little less like I was going out into the open. It was more like I was coming home. I hear you exactly, because I think it's just really nice to have that camaraderie of, as you say, 32 other people, and it just gives you that sense of purpose, especially when you, you come back together and you feel like, okay, I'm going to be making music with my friends, like in the audition. And it feels less daunting. I feel like if I'd moved to London, just decided one day I was going to up sticks and freelance in London, but without having done South Bank. I, I don't know where I would start, really. I think it would be really difficult. But you're still here, uh, which mm-hmm. is a good thing, which means you get to do South Bank again in 2021. So despite the circumstances, South Bank still managed to make music and stay in touch with each other throughout the year. So, George, tell me about one of your highlights of 2020 with South Bank. Sure. I mean, I, actually, it's really hard because... The South Bank team, the office, the, all the all the admin people, all the wonderful friends that we have in that in that in that office, they heroically soldiered on, and they made such an effort to keep us going over lockdown. You know, so keeping going virtually with online seminars and really interesting things about peak performance and important things at the time, like how to sort of deal with disappointments and resilience was one of the buzzwords. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, for me personally, there was okay. I'll do two things because one the one highlight for me in the, in the lockdown was having some lessons online with the Opera House um, musicians. And I just remember feeling really positive about my playing at that time because, you know, I, I took weeks off the viola. I didn't play very much. <laughs> didn't have to, well, my practice wasn't exactly happening. Yeah, God, join the club. <laughs> oh, exactly. But, yeah. but having something to practice for and then having the feedback from um, these wonderful musicians of the Opera House, that was, that was great. And then, then when we did come back in September for that short kind of honeymoon phase between lockdowns in September to, to November where we were able to come back in person. I guess the first week back was the highlight, but we did have some other projects as well, like some recording projects, which were great. But just the first week coming back and playing real live music with real live musicians, that was that was amazing. Yeah, you get to see people in person and not on a screen. And yeah. it just, I mean, we don't need to say why, but it just makes a huge difference, Absolutely. doesn't it? Yeah. And Alec, what's been a highlight for 2020? Oh, well, there's, there is one very special sort of personal project that I got to do with two other members of South Bank. When we had started the lockdown, right about the end of March, I get a text message from my friend Cora, who plays violin in the orchestra. And she says, hey, hey, Alec, Veronica, Veronica Marziano is another violinist in the orchestra. She says, Alec, Veronica and I, we want to do Skype yoga sessions together. Do you want to join us? Nice. And so I said yes. So Cora's in London with her husband, 
and Veronica had gone back to Warsaw, and then I'm in Ottawa. We're, we're coordinating across three different time zones, Skype yoga sessions. Uh, we followed the, um, there's a series on YouTube uh, by a lady named Adrienne. Yoga with Adrienne. Yoga with Adrienne. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, I love Adrienne. I'm in the middle of her latest 30 days at the moment. Brilliant. I'm up to date for once. Oh, nice. Nice. Well, uh, a little bit shamefully, we, it took us about two months to finish 30 days. <laughs> We're not very flexible. So uh, all of us decided, right, let's repeat a couple of days, make sure we actually got the moves down. And sometimes I would text in and say, guys, my back is not feeling great. Let's skip today. Yeah, it was great to do it because at the time we just started lockdown and there's a bit of a depression going between the three of us. And it was a, it was an excuse for me to get out of bed earlier. And as Adrian says, just showing up is the main thing. Even if you show up Big on your time. mat and you do nothing, then like at least you, <laughs> you gave yourself that time. Um, it's like practice in a way. The hardest thing is just getting started. Oh, yeah. Usually once you get started, it's kind of okay. It's finally an excuse to pull out those gym clothes that I haven't worn in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I live exclusively in like stretchy trousers and stuff now i had to wear <laughs> jeans the other day and it was a huge struggle it was absolutely <laughs> terrible no i'm i'm all for i'm all for that i love yoga and i i feel like it it makes me a better human on the days that i do it so thank you for your 2020 highlights and obviously looking forward to 2021 we don't know what the future holds what are some things that you're looking forward to when you get to start the fellowship again because everything is so still so uncertain i mean it's it's really hard to to look forward to something specific i mean i i really hope we get to go to italy that's like the big highlight of, of the south bank year to do the festival but you know we've got brexit to contend with we've got the pandemic to contend with you know i, I it's all the big words there and i'm not sure that you know it's very hard to kind of like how can you face up to that so just very simply i think coming back and having something weekly to do um, that for me is enough and and I and I will give my absolute everything you know I think that's something that we've all done really well actually is is given uh, given everything you know to, to this fellowship and um, and I hope we can develop on our on our personal relationships and our musical relationships this year and just to see where it goes you know we've been given an opportunity to kind of shape it a little bit more because obviously it's an unusual situation so yeah it'll be I'm just really interested to see where it's going very inquisitive such a blessing, isn't it? Having the chance to do something again. And I'm sure that all 33 of you will come back and be like, well, let's not waste this opportunity. One of the things I really appreciated about South Bank, especially from when we came back, is the amount of creativity that goes into a lot of our projects. I have full confidence that our incredible team in the office have something cooked up for us that we won't be able to expect. Something that'll be challenging in, in many very uh, incredible ways. I'm thinking about some of the projects that we did, like the Round Chapel sessions in Hackney, where we recorded w with uh, all these cameras flying around and everything was socially distanced. And the final product makes it look like you're just walking through the orchestra as we're performing. And that was something that I could never have anticipated looking and sounding like that in the final product. So I have full confidence that the office is going to come up with something amazing. And I'm really, really looking forward to the ways in which they're going to take advantage of all the technology that's available to us to to really push the envelope on what it means for our orchestra to be performing during the pandemic. But another highlight that I caught whispers of recently 
is this project launched by non-classical. They're in the process of raising funds to get, I believe, four new composers to write works for us. One of the things that I love above all about being a musician is getting to play new works. I'm not just talking about works written recently, I'm talking like, like new, new works where this is the premiere. Brand new, and you're the first person to play it. It is so awesome for us as young musicians to get to put our stamp on something. And just from what I know of our cohort, this this 33 musician group, whatever comes out of that collaboration with non-classical we're really going to take it to the next level. That's the thing. It's If you're in a cohort of people with good spirits, you know that you can only expect incredible, exhilarating results. That's the thing about new music, though, isn't it? It's You have the opportunity to perform something without all that baggage of like previous performances that we always get with you know, our excerpts, our concertos and things like that. So I wanted to ask both of you, can you give me one recommendation of something that musicians can do to look after their well-being, whether it be their physical health, mental health or social well-being? It's hard because it's I can't really find one thing. I think what works for me is a multiplicity of things to kind of make me feel better. I don't know. I've been attending a morning scales club with some other wonderful musicians. I've been going out running. I've been going walking my dog, just trying to be as proactive as I can whether whether that's musical or not I think running for me has always been my my go-to when I'm you know hitting a depressive patch or if I'm not feeling great so I find it yeah I mean that's just that's a crucial thing for me but I know not everyone is into running <laughs> for me personally not running but just having some kind of physical Definitely, outlet yeah. I think is is really good just to clear your head and not think about the you know minute details of what's really getting you down. Alec, what's something that musicians can do to look after their health and well-being? I've gotten a lot more into cooking nowadays. My girlfriend is vegan, so it kind of helps explore new territory in the kitchen. I mean, I discovered for the first time that chickpea flour is a thing. Yeah. Chickpea fl- oh, yeah, yeah, it's good. <laughs> I had no idea what that was until I met her, and uh, <laughs> it has changed my life. Getting into different styles of cooking, and especially with the vegan thing, it's totally new territory i had never explored that before it's like an extra challenge for yourself yeah. isn't it it really extends your your abilities in, in the kitchen i like the idea that i'll i'll in a couple of months be able to do something a lot more than just rice and beans <laughs> <laughs> appetizing so tell me really quickly what's your favorite vegan dish to cook we did a vegan shepherd's pie where we used jackfruit as the filling instead Delicious. of meat mince and you wouldn't think that jackfruit is something that you would put in there. And it is quite bland in taste on its own. It really is just a texture thing. And you have to season it. And you have to really work at it to make it kick. But, man, the result was just phenomenal. I think that's the point of jackfruit, though, isn't it? It's a blank canvas. Yeah. Because it's just, it, yeah, you season it with whatever you season meat with. And then it's like... Amazing. I mean, I haven't tried that. I've tried a, a vegan shepherd's pie, but with lentils. Lentils. Oof. Yeah, that's that's really good. Definitely agree. Cooking is good for your good for your well being, and then also you get to eat it later. Exactly. So. I mean, worst case scenario, you you get calories. <laughs> oh no! No, no, no! You you get some kind of nutrient, even though it doesn't taste great because you screwed it up somewhere. 
dubious food. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's happened a couple of times to me. I, <laughs> yeah, but uh, best case scenario, I mean, you walk away with a new skill. Yeah, totally. It is definitely parallels between cooking and practicing music as well. You know, you have like those dubious musical experiences where you just think, oh, that didn't go so well. But then, you know, you hope that it made you a better musician. Yeah. And the techniques on their own. I mean, you you eventually start to clue in that like this combination with this level of heat and in this pan makes this yeah. result and it just becomes another tool in your arsenal. Yeah. Brilliant. I love that so much. You may or may not be aware that I have a segment called the wildcard question round where you get the opportunity to choose what I ask you next based on three topics that I present you. Who would like to go first? Well, while my internet internet connection is stable, let's do it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll ask you the question and then we'll wait 10 minutes for the answer. (laughs) So um, your topics are, you can choose one of them, essential listening, favorite pastimes outside of music, and alternate paths oh great great shouts all three of those yeah i don't know okay um i'll go with the listening one because i've been trying to i don't know what it is about why i struggle actually with listening to music um it's a bit weird isn't it as a musician sometimes you just you go through phases essential listening tell me one album that you can't get enough of so the album that i can't get enough of is woodworks by the danish street quartet I've been, I listen to that on repeat and I, ne- I never get bored of it. So tell me about the album. Are they original compositions or are they a compilation based on a theme? Yeah, it's a mixture. Yeah, it's a real mixture. So I believe most of them, in fact, maybe all of them on that CD are traditional Danish folk tunes from all sorts of different places. There's a bridal trilogy, which is really beautiful. I would try and pronounce the names of them, but I, it's just, I would butcher it. I think it's really hard with Danish. Danish is a weird language because, like, you'll say it, what you think makes sense yeah. on the page, and then you hear it and you oh, think, yeah. oh, no, it's, no, 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 it's completely wrong. <laughs> Even their system of numbers is totally weird. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to get into it, but it goes into, like, scores and stuff like that that oh, we no. don't really use in English. <laughs> That's brilliant. So it's called Woodworks by Woodworks. the Danish String Quartet. Nice. Good answer. Thanks for that. <laughs> Alec, I'll give you the topics one more time. So essential listening. Favourite pastimes, which we kind of already spoke about, and alternate paths. Ooh, I kind of want to go down an alternate path here. Cool. Okay, so finish the sentence for me, please. If I didn't play percussion, I'd play... Oh, that's a hard one. (laughs) Oh, jeez. I I feel like this is a bit of a cop-out answer, but I think the electric guitar, but only because I... That was my instrument before percussion. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, that works. I started life as a jazz guitarist. Wow. I didn't know that, Alec. (laughs) Man. So what made you switch from electric guitar to orchestral percussion playing? So there's two answers. There's one that's more professional, and there's one that's the same answer, but with a little more truth to it. So which would you like to hear? Oh, let's go for the truth. Always the truth. Yeah, okay, so I, went, so I went to this performance arts high school in Ottawa, and there was a jazz band, but not a jazz program. But there was like a concert band program, and uh, I really, really wanted to play guitar in the jazz band, right? I was super into jazz. I wanted to study it in uni. One of the prerequisites was you had to be in one of the arts programs to be in the jazz band or to get priority for the jazz band. So I 
decided to pick up drums and percussion just as a, a way to sneak into the jazz band and to <laughs> claim my spot. But the catch, I had to learn percussion properly. They, they assigned you a teacher. And my teacher was a guy named Sandy Hunter, who was a, a freelance drummer in Ottawa, also had his own rock band called Bluestone, uh, which were really awesome. And when I was in, in year 10 in high school, I, I was invited to guest frontman them. He one day shows up to my lesson, told him I, I was kind of interested in, in what you could do with orchestra, orchestral percussion. He shows up with a, a CD that has a bunch of percussion heavy orchestral pieces. So there's a Roman Carnival Overture, uh, Scheherazade, Capriccio Espanol, uh, Carmina Burana, The Planets, it was all on there. And I went home and I listened to it over the holiday, the Christmas holiday. And I came back and I said, I think this is a little more fun than just playing the guitar. And it just so happens that there was a cute girl in, in the concert band at the time <laughs> who played French horn. And I was like this really awkward teenager. And I just went up to her and I said, uh, uh, so what's your big dream? And she said, I want to go to New England Conservatory. And when I looked into what the New England Conservatory was, I said, well, she'll never take me seriously if I play jazz. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love that. Uh, I love that element of truth. And also, you know, that human connection that we were talking about before with auditions and like just talking to another person. I mean, because for me personally, my journey as a cellist began because I was lining up to sign up for Saturday morning music lessons and I was behind my best friend at the time and asked her, what are you signing up for? And she said, cello. And, uh, and I was like, well, I will sign up I'm for that gonna too. I'm going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what were you going to do if, you, if not for your friend? I don't think I decided. I think I was not really quite in the present moment. I was like, oh, should probably make a decision soon. <laughs> but yeah, cello, it stuck. She gave up after a year and, and I'm it still out. going. Exactly. Wow. Here That's we are. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your answers. Alec and George, thank you once again for joining me on the podcast. It's been really nice to hear from other fellow South Bankers because, as I mentioned before, it's like a big family. So I feel like I've met two new family members now. Oh, well, George, well, I knew you before, but <laughs> Alec. People can find out more about South Bank Symphonia at their website, which is southbanksymphonia.co.uk and their handle on Instagram, southbanksymphonia. But where can people find out more about you guys? This is that point in my in, in this chat where I really wish that I had like a website or something, but I don't. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm just on social media. You can just find me on social media or on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Nice. Yeah. Well, don't worry. I didn't have a website for this podcast for like a good year. And yeah, even then it, it still craps out from time to time. So, Alec, where can people find you on social media? Oh, I wish I had a better answer, but uh, really kind of the same I just have my own social media profiles and uh, I stay active on there. Nice. Well, we will hopefully keep up to date with what you guys have been up to in 2021. And fingers crossed, you know, we look forward to this explosive new way of music making in the coming year. Thank you so much awesome. for being on the podcast. Thank you, well, thank you for having us. was Alec and George from Southbank Symphonia. Check out the show notes for the album that George mentioned earlier, Woodworks, by the Danish String Quartet. The day after our conversation, I listened to it on a solitary walk around my local park. 
And if anyone was looking at my face while I was walking, they would have witnessed a whole host of emotions and expressions. Excessive smiling, head grooving, jaw dropping, tearing up. It's a fantastic album full of energy, spirit and atmosphere. I had to message George straight away saying, oh my god, this is amazing. So there's a recommendation if you're looking for something new to listen to and slightly different from the more conventional recordings of standard string quartets. And if you're not one of the 9 million people already subscribed to Yoga with Adrian on YouTube, then check out a link for her channel in the show notes. I mean, <laughs> she does not need this plug. But I highly recommend her videos. Mark and I have done one every day this year, and I can honestly say the more you do them, the easier it gets and the better you feel. It's always a win when you go into downward dog and you don't wince with pain. Assistant producer Romeo likes to get involved too, so it's an added challenge to maintain tree pose when you have a furry feline wrapped around your ankle. Thanks, Romeo. That's it for today. Special thanks to Ros Nagy for my logo and Daniel Elms for my jingle. Huge global science thanks to Alec and George for being my guests this episode, as well as Marcus Norman and Kate Walker at Southbank Symphonia for their help with this episode. And as always, thank you for listening. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can now donate and buy me a coffee on my coffee page. I don't know how to say that. Link in the show notes. Get in touch at asitcomespodcast at gmail.com or on the website asitcomes.com where you'll also find all previous episodes and transcripts of the podcast. You can also get in touch with me via Instagram and Facebook where I highly recommend you give me a follow and a like at asitcomespod. Remember to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to those who've already done so and thanks for continuing to spread the word. Chat to you soon and take good care. Bye.